Um, now, I know we have to wear the mask, so I want to let you know that uh, I'm keeping that in mind as I preach. We've, we've abbreviated the, the, the worship service so that you can not breathe into that mask for an extended period of time. So if you're feeling any type of anxiety or you just have a tough time breathing, go ahead and get a breather from your mask. That's okay. Um, and I've tried to cut the sermon short this morning. I really have. I tried hard, but I don't know how much I succeeded. I, I did cut out a lot for the sake of brevity. And let me tell you what we're doing. We're, we're continuing a series that we started uh, last week called Do Justice and Love Mercy. It's, it's about the, the just mercy of God. And last week we framed the conversation with Psalm 146. And, and in Psalm 146, one of the things that we were reminded of was we wanted to frame this entire conversation about justice and race and all that. We wanted everything framed with worship of God because he's big and he's in control and he's in charge. We wanted it framed with worship. We wanted it framed with hope. Hope because the gospel is the power of God, that we actually have a resource that enables us to uh, see hearts change and actually address these difficult and almost impossible tasks. As followers of Jesus, we wade into this difficult conversation with worship and with hope. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. But as I continue to, to step into this topic, um, I do feel in one sense that it almost feels like I'm taking my life into my hands, that I'm wading into the thing that is, feels very explosive today, right? Uh, it, it's just supercharged. I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's, it's tense and it's difficult. And to be honest, I, I get a little bit nervous when I think about speaking about this. And, and then I, I start studying the things that the Bible says about this and it puts me at ease and it gives me calm and rest that God is smarter than we are, that he's wiser than we are, that he sees everything that is happening. And here's what I believe. I believe that we are Jesus' bride as the church and he is making us beautiful today, even in the midst of this. And if we figure out how to do this, I think we will be more beautiful and we will display the gospel in a better way as time moves on for us in our culture. But we, I think we have to figure this out. And also, I don't want us to be cowards about the difficult things of our day. We're going to look at the difficult things and see what the Bible says and figure out how to talk about it. Otherwise, the Bible sometimes feels irrelevant to me, that we would ignore the most pressing issues of our day. So, so let me chart out a few of the questions that in this series I intend to answer. Um, they're big questions. So here are some of the questions. How does God define justice and injustice? Is there such a thing as systematic racism? What does God think about police and government authority? What does he say about that? How are we supposed to respond to the sins of the past that we might not have committed? Are we supposed to sit back quietly and watch a society get torn down by anarchists and people like that? Well, what are we supposed to do about injustice that seems to be happening in front of us? What are our next steps? I mean, will this ever be a conversation? Or are we always going to be forced to the sidelines to just listen? I mean, how is this all going to end? I, I don't know if those are the questions that y'all are asking. But, but uh, there are questions that I'm asking that I hope that we begin to address. In addition, I want to let you know this. I cannot cover everything in this brief series that I want us to go over. So I will be sending out links to videos and other articles uh, on email um, that I, I want you to kind of know. I, I want to send you these things. They're not all current today. Most of them are from older 
uh, from years ago uh, that I was starting to get into. But they're resources I think will help us consider the topics that we're looking at when it comes to race and injustice in our country. Um, I don't agree with everything that they say, but they are helpful resources. So I'm going to be sending out videos and articles to help us during the week add more layers to this conversation for us, okay? Um, if you don't look at them, okay. It's not, I'm not going to grade your homework. It'll be all right. Uh, if you do look at it, I'm not going to grade your homework. Uh, I, I'll give you an A, okay? If you do it, turn it in. I'll give you an A on your imaginary report card. It's going to be great. Great. Um, that's what we're going to be doing. We, we do want, here's what we want to do. We want to grow in our understanding of this topic. And um, that means we're going to have to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. That means we're going to have to look at things we might not understand. That might mean we have to read and think through things that we may disagree with. But, but we need to be educated on this. And we cannot allow ourselves to only listen to the same news anchors and the same Twitter feeds and the same Facebook rants, that will not lead to better understanding of the topics of the day. That will lead to isolation and, and what they say is an echo chamber, that you only hear what you want to hear. Um, so let me, let me go ahead and tell you how I'm going to get started today. Uh, this morning we'll take a quick look at what the Bible says about how God defines justice. Um, and now since we believe that God is ultimate, we believe that he is in charge and he is king, we believe all those things, we believe that he will judge the living and the dead, so we want to know how he defines justice and oppression. He gets to define it, not us, and if our definition of justice and oppression does not line up with his definition of justice, then our definition is wrong, because he will be the judge in the end. Uh, and I would suggest that if our definition doesn't line up with his, then we need to change our definition. Now, now, now let me tell you how I went about trying to get a whole, holistic definition of justice in the Bible. Um, I did a word search. I got Bible software. I can do these amazing things now. And in my word search, I looked up every verse in the Bible that uses the following words. Oppression, oppressed, Justice, injustice, justly, poor, captive, captives, sojourner, stranger, widow, fatherless, orphan. There's a lot of words. Um, and as I did that, I came up with over 60 pages, single-spaced, of verses that were in the Bible. And I went through those verses and pared, pared them down to the ones that were relevant. And I went from like 68 pages to 62. It was phenomenal. Um, I went through all these verses. I tried to catalog them into themes. L listen, I need to warn you. This is going to get a little academic today. But I tried to catalog them into themes. I also went behind those English words into the original languages to find out the Hebrew and the Greek that was behind those words. Uh, and this morning is my attempt to go over all 60 pages of verses. I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm not going to go over 60 pages of verses. It's only 30. Um, no, today's my attempt to synthesize that into an accurate picture, an, an accurate picture of what God says about this topic. It could, be, could easily be an entire book of research, but I'm only doing one sermon today, um, and I'm sure that I will grow my understanding of this in the future, but for today, this is where I'm at. And I want to say this, the sheer volume of verses that I've found in the Bible, over 60 pages of verses, that sheer volume demonstrates the significance of this topic to God. I mean, dude, he talks about it everywhere. It's throughout the entire Bible. Justice is a recurring theme in the Bible. It matters greatly to God. Therefore, it matters greatly to us. In addition to studying this, I've also been looking at several resources, um, several books, several authors. I want to I highlight a few people that I would suggest would be good for us to, 
to pay attention to. Again, I don't agree with everything they say. These guys even disagree with each other. Um, but I do want you to see some of the people that I think might be helpful for you to pay attention to in the midst of the, the barrage of information coming our way. Here's a few guys. Dr. Tony Evans. I don't know if y'all, how many of y'all heard Dr. Tony Evans? Dude, he's awesome. He's the pastor at Oak Cliff, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. He's a great guy to be paying attention to in the midst of this. Another guy named Dr. Eric Mason. He's a pastor of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Another guy's name is Dr. Vody Bacham. Vody Bacham, uh, he's, he was on staff at churches here in the U.S. and he left and now he's in Zambia uh, working as a missionary and running a seminary over in Zambia. Thabiti Anawabili. Anawabile, man, his name is brutal to say. Uh, this guy's the pastor of Anacosta River Church. It's a church plant in Washington, D.C. And also Dr. Tim Keller. Uh, he wrote the book Generous Justice back in 2010, a phenomenal resource. He's, he's a retired pastor of a church out of New York City. Uh, I believe that some of these guys are some of the voices that we should be paying attention to. Um, and again, remember, I'm, I'm trying to point you to, the, to some of the helpful people, not not some of the crazy people. Again, you won't agree with everything they say, but some of it is really good and really helpful. Having said that, that's all my introduction. Let me jump into our sermon for today. Webster defines justice like this, because I'm asking this question. How do we as Americans define justice, and how does that compare to how does God define justice? Webster defines justice like this. It's the maintenance or administration of what is just, the administration of law, or the quality of being just, impartial, or fair. We, we use this in phrases like we need to mete out justice or bring them to justice, or that was a miscarriage of justice. Our definition is mainly about people getting what they deserve. Our picture, you know that picture, it's a woman blindfolded. Y'all seen that statue? If you haven't, I don't know what world you're living in, but our picture of justice is a woman that's blindfolded, holding scales in one hand and a sword in the other. She's blindfolded because she doesn't care who you are or what your background is. She, she's not looking at your status. when she's, That's the ideal of justice. She's not looking at your status. She's holding a scale that's actually measuring out and weighing your actions and what's going on and considering your arguments, whether or not they're right or just. And she carries a sword because if you are unjust, she should punish you. That's, that's our picture of justice. It's almost exclusively defined by that view. But my question is this, is that how God defines justice in the Bible? Let me give you my definition that I think I've got from this word study. It's this, uh, and you may need to take notes because we're going to be doing a lot of verses today. Here's how I think the Bible defines justice. Biblical justice is the administration of right laws with equity and helping the vulnerable in a way that keeps relational wholeness in the community. That was a huge definition. Let me say it this way. The biblical justice, it's the administration of laws with equity. It's, it's just laws with equity, and it also helps the vulnerable in a way that keeps the relationships of the community whole and restored. I, I think it's all of those aspects. It's, it's law, it's helping the vulnerable, and it's relationship. All three of those aspects are what I believe the Bible says is a good definition of justice. So, so let me prove that to you. We're going to do a word study of two Hebrew words today. So it's about to get real fun. The first Hebrew word, well, the two words are mishpat and sedek. Let me just tell you, I'm going to have a hard time saying both of those over and over and over again. Mishpat, it's used 407 times in the Bible. 
It's normally defined as justice. Um, and now, the meaning is complex. It's got two main ideas. So, so let me walk through those two ideas for you. The first one is this. It's that, uh, that the guilty are found guilty, the innocent are found innocent. That, that it's consistent and it has right judgments from rulers and legal courts. It refers to a fair set of rules that are applied to all. And here's what you need to know about Mishpat in the Old Testament. It, when it talks about God, he's, he's usually referred to as Mishpat. In other words, that he always does what is right and just. He loves justice. Let me show you a few verses about this. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis Chapter 18. As you flip over there, I'll tell you what's going on. God is about to go and evaluate the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as he's evaluating those cities, he stops by and has a conversation with Abraham. Listen, I know this is crazy, but that's, that's the way it goes. And as he has a conversation with Abraham, he decides to let Abraham know, I'm evaluating Sodom and Gomorrah where your cousin Lot is, your nephew Lot is. I'm evaluating whether or not to destroy it or not. And, and Lot gets into a conversation with God saying, hey, God, are are you going to destroy the city if you find 50 good people in there? Are you going to destroy the city if you find 20 good people? Are you going to destroy the city if you find just 10 good people? And you find out that God couldn't even find 10. He found one who was Lot, and he took him out of the city. But, but here's the conversation that God gets in with Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, verse 23. Then Abraham drew near. He's talking to God, and he said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep them away, um, the place, and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? And he says this, verse 25, far be it from you. He's talking about God to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. God, that's not who you are. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And then God responds, the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And that word mishpat is found there in verse 25. It says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is mishpat, what is just? And here's the point. God always does it. He will not sweep away in judgment the righteous along with the wicked. They will not suffer the same consequence or the same judgment. Not when God is judging. He's always just. He always does what is right. He's always mishpat. It also says this in Psalm 33, verse 5, talking about God. He says this. He loves righteousness, that's Sedek, and justice, mishpat. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. He loves these things. So, so when God's looking at the earth, he always does what is right, and he loves justice. He loves and he does justice all the time. And he expects justice to be done all the time. He expects it to be done rightly and equitably for all, regardless of position or power or money or race or any other factor. So, so let me show you how he set that up in the Old Testament. Now, now as I show you these verses, I want to show you how God set up laws. Because God is just, he set up just laws in the Old Testament. And I want you to notice that one of the things God says in these verses, I want you to notice these words, Sojourner, or which is the idea of immigrant, people who are not of the same race. When you see um, sojourner, you think about that. When you see, you're going to see widows and poor and, and orphans and the fatherless. Notice the notice what God says about the laws and justice in these verses. Exodus chapter 23. This is right when God's laying out all the commandments for Israel. Verse six of Exodus 23. What does God say? You shall not pervert the mishpat. 
due to the poor in his lawsuit. So here's God's concern. Do not be impartial and be unfair to poor people. That would be injustice. I want justice. You will not do injustice to the poor when he's doing a lawsuit. Leviticus 24, verse 22. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native. Like He's saying, listen, and that rule is mishpat. You're going to have the same laws for the, the poor and the native, like, or the sojourner and the native. In other words, this is crazy. Think about this. God is saying the Gentiles that are in your country who are not like you, they're not Jewish by birth, they're a different race. They don't have your same background. God's concerned, and he makes it very, very clear to the Jews that you will make sure that you treat them the same. You're going to have the same laws for the, for the sojourner and, and for the native. Why? Look at verse 22 of Leviticus 24. For, because I am the Lord your God. This is who I am. Therefore, I expect you to do this. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 to 18, he says this. You shall not pervert the justice the mishpat due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you make sure this does not happen, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Listen, it's not just that God is just and he always does what is just. He wants to make sure that just laws exist in the nation of Israel Specifically, he wants to make sure that the fatherless, the poor, uh, who don't have the same type of power or, or influence or prestige, he wants to make sure that the immigrants or the, the sojourners, the people who are not native to the land, he wants to make sure that they get treated fairly by the people of Israel. Now listen, why do you think God would have to say that to Israel? Can't he just say, here's the law, and the people of Israel should say, oh, well, that applies to the same to the poor and the rich. Why does God say that? You want to know why God says that? God says that because he knows the bent of the heart of man is not towards justice. Once the fall happened and sin entered in, our bent is broken. We're not wired correctly when it comes to justice and righteousness. Yes, we have some of it right, but our bet will be as a people to take it away. And this shouldn't surprise us. The gospel, the word of God says the gospel is that all of us have turned aside, that we all need to be saved and changed. That's why Jesus came to die, because our hearts are broken and twisted. We need a savior. That's why he showed up. So when it should not surprise us that when we see injustice, because we know what's in the heart of man, it should actually surprise us if we don't see injustice because man is sinful. When we see justice, it should make us rejoice because that means that in these moments, man is rightly representing who God is. But when we see injustice, it shouldn't surprise us because that is demonstrating what God has said is in the heart of man. Do you understand that? So, so I don't want you to be surprised when you see injustice. The gospel tells us that we are sinful-hearted people, and that means there will be injustice around us. And when there isn't, that's the grace of God. I'm not saying everything is unjust. I'm saying injustice happens all the time. It should not surprise us. If you've watched global news at all, or traveled to foreign countries at all, especially third world countries, justice and injustice, injustice is happening all the time. 
Travel to, travel to some of these places as a, on a mission trip and see what it's like to go through the airport and hope you don't have to bribe your way to get all your baggage in there. That's not just. Injustice is the norm. That is the way that, that some of these things happen. It shouldn't surprise us because the Bible says that the heart of man is sinful. So what does God think about it when he sees injustice? Well, listen, God gets upset. He gets angry. He actually hates it. And all injustice, he would consider to be sin. All of it. If it is actually unjust, I'm not saying perceived injustice, I'm saying real injustice by his standard. If it's unjust, then God considers it to be sin. All of it. And he gets angry about it. Like if you go to study justice, and you all of a sudden when you get in the Old Testament to the prophets who are calling out Israel, they call out Israel for two main things idolatry and injustice over and over and over again. And that was probably the bulk of the material on justice in the Bible is the prophets calling out the people of Israel saying, you aren't being just. Let me give you just one example. Um, Jeremiah chapter five is God is talking about judging Israel and Jerusalem. And he's saying, listen, you're gonna get judged. And in Jeremiah chapter five, verse one, he says this, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to scour the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search your squares to see if you can find a man, one, just one, who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Here's God's thing with the prophet. You, you don't want me to destroy Jerusalem? Find one person in the city of Jerusalem. He doesn't say who worships me. He doesn't say who doesn't worship idols. His issue is find one person who does justice and seeks the truth, and I'll pardon Jerusalem. And he didn't pardon Jerusalem. Like, this is a big deal to God. And he's saying, the issue I have with you, Israel, is your idolatry and your injustice. And they are related. Or in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, God's saying, hey, let me, let me tell you what I want. Don't boast about your, your festivals. Don't boast about how you're worshiping me better. Don't worship about, boast about how you know the Bible better. Boast in this. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. It says this. Thus, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And what is it that he understands and knows about God? That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, that's kesed for those of you who remember the book of Ruth, justice, that's mishfat, and righteousness, sedek, in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Now listen, I don't think I've shared anything new to you right now. We should all be saying, that's exactly what God is like. That's exactly who we That's exactly what we want. We want just laws. We want it done with equity and fairness all throughout. That's what we want. And that's what God wants. And none of that surprises us. But all of that is in line with our definition of justice as Americans. My problem is Mishpat has a second part of it. It does mean all of those things. It's no less than that. If, if justice becomes less than that, it is not justice. But there's another element to it. It means all that plus this. 
The second part of this word is not caught in our English. And it's the word for justice. It means this. It means helping people. In other words, this. To judge and to help are parallel ideas in this word. When God says mishpat, just, he means to judge and to help the, the vulnerable, the oppressed, the weak. He means both of those things. I'm going to show you in just a few verses, and I'll show you a later passage in Job that, that expounds it even more. But look at this, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. That's mishpat. And how is he explaining this? Correct oppression. So you can see that in the law courts. I want good laws. You're not allowing people to be oppressed. But look at this next part. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He says bring justice to the fatherless. When we hear that, if all you think is justice is bringing just laws, you, it might not make sense. How do I bring justice to the fatherless? Are all these orphans needing to go to court and be defended? No, he's saying help the fatherless. You, you help them. Psalm chapter 10, verses 17 to 18 says this. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do what? To do mishpat to the fatherless and the oppressed so the man of, who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Like, listen, he's saying, God, here's what you want to do. You want to help the fatherless and the oppressed. Psalm 72, verse 4. May he defend the cause. You know what that phrase is? Mishpat. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Like, here's what I want you to hear in those things. This is not just about just laws. The orphans and the widows don't just need good laws. They need help. They need help with a cruel landlord. They need help from people who'd want to get them in a vulnerable position and capture them as slaves and sell them and make them do awful things to make money. They need help to provide meals and food for their kids. They don't need just laws. They need help. That, that's the full picture of Mishpat. It is both just laws and judging rightly and helping the vulnerable. But there's a second word I said we were going to study. It's the word sedek which is a crazy word to say because it's spelled T-Z-E-D-E-K. And I don't know why you would put a T and a Z next to each other, but that Hebrew language is crazy. Anyways, Sedek, it's used 116 times in the Old Testament. It, it's normally translated with the word righteousness. Now, now when I say righteousness, I'm kind of curious what probably comes to your mind. And, and here's what I think probably comes to your mind. When we hear that word, we normally think about right and clean and and pure living, right? We think, listen, I'm going to be righteous, so I'm going to, I'm going to be morally pure. I'm going to be a good family man. I'm going to work hard. I'm not going to do immoral things. I'm going to be nice to people. I don't steal. I don't kill. My life is morally pure. But this Old Testament word is not just about how you morally live. It, it actually has a strong emphasis, not just on your living, but on your relationships in the community. Uh, I would say it this way. We would say um, you don't live in a bubble. Your consequences have actions not just for yourself but for those around you, right? 
When we talk about being a good citizen, that's the word sedek. That you're saying, you're going to live in a way that's not going to cause problems for your neighbors. You're going to live in a way that you don't just think about your actions. You think about the consequences of your actions, not just for yourself, but for your community. There is no room for individualistic, isolated thought in this word. This is a communal word. Uh, that, that might blow your brain. Let, let, me, let me explain it. Uh, well, let, let me show you a couple verses, okay, where, where I think this matters. Because I think most of the time we think, listen, I'm just going to go. I'm going to quietly live my life. I'm going to work my job. I'm going to take care of my family. And I'm not going to worry about all this stuff around me. That is not Sedek. That's too personal. The, the, the righteous person, the tzedek, I'm, gonna stop, I'm just going to say righteous because I don't want to say that word anymore. Um, that, that person cares about the relationships in the community and the impact that is happening to those around them. So, so a tzedek person would be a person not just who goes to their home and chips away at stuff, but when coronavirus happens, they begin to think, what about my neighbors? What about my neighbors and their neighbors? What, what about their needs? I wonder how, yeah, I want to make sure my family's doing okay, but I also want to cons- consider what it's doing to them and what it's doing to the poor and the vulnerable in the city. A righteous person doesn't just care about just laws. It cares about the impact that's happening on the community around them. Let, let me show you. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15 says this. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness, sedek, you shall judge your neighbor. Okay? Proverbs 29, verse 7. Listen to this one. The righteous, the sedek man, look at this, not just does what's right, he knows the rights of the poor. In other words, he knows the causes of the poor or the plight or the judgment the righteous man knows the, the, the rights of the poor, but a wicked man does not understand such knowledge. You, you see this? He's thinking about what's, what's the problem with the poor people in my city? What, what are their needs? What are the causes they need someone to take up for them? Where are they vulnerable? That's justice. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10, it's so in, in, uh, concerned about impacts. It says this, whoever is righteous, Sedek, has regard for the life of his beast. Like, it's to the point that he even, he's even concerned how his animals are being treated. Like, so a righteous, a just person is concerned about the impact on the community around them. Let me show you where it's used for the word just, in case you're like, well, how did you connect these words? Well, Sedek is used for justice all the time. Leviticus chapter 19, which is a really important chapter in the Bible. If you want to study one chapter, go back and look at this because this is actually the chapter in the Bible where Jesus quotes, love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19. You know what's happening in Leviticus 19? Law after law after law after law after love your neighbor as yourself after law after law after law. And in the middle of that, Leviticus, or at the end of it, Leviticus 19, verse 36. And this is all law framed from the perspective of Sedek, caring about what's happening to your neighbor. Verse 36 says this, you shall have just balances. You know what that word is? It's not mishpat, it's Sedek. You shall have just weights 
a just ephah and a just ten. Those are all measurements. In other words, when you're measuring out the food that people buy from you, you're making sure it's just and it's fair and it's right because of the impact that it has on your community. Why does he care about that? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. You shall not pervert justice. That's mishpat. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous, the sedek. Look at this next verse. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Those two words, justice and only justice, sedek. In other words, he's saying, it's not just you have to just write laws and that you should be helping people. You should care about the impact of those laws and your actions on the people around you. Man, here's the idea. That there is a fairness that's to be done that impacts the people around you. You are to be fair and create whole relationships in the community. Injustice breaks relationships. And when there is oppression then the community has broken and exploited relations. In other words, this, God wants relational wholeness and injustice destroys this, but justice restores relationships. You want to know why there's so much uprising today? Because there's been injustice for hundreds of years in the United States on the issue of racism. Since 1619, when they first came over to Jamestown and slavery first started in the United States of America, We didn't even come close to getting it right for hundreds of years. And that kind of action and oppression breaks relationships. And God would call it unjust. And it's not just unjust because it's wrong laws. It's not just unjust because we didn't help the poor and the weak and the oppressed. It's also unjust because it broke the relationships and we did not consider the impact our laws were having on our neighbors next to us. Now here's where this stands out. As I was studying these words in the Old Testament, it wouldn't surprise you to find that, that Mishpat and Sedek were used together all the time. Sometimes side by side to have the phrase, your righteous rules your laws that, are, that fix the relationship in the community. They're righteous, they're good, they're the right things to do. It's exactly what loving your neighbor looks like. Because that is the law of God, right? Love God, love your neighbor. And I want to give you one example where you see this fleshed out, and it's in the book of Job. All right, now we're going to spend some time, in, not, not a ton of time, just a few minutes in Job, because this for me is the passage that merges these two things together as, as vividly as possible. So in Job chapter 29, Job, is def- he's had all sorts of tragedy. He's defending himself against his lousy friends who are accusing him of, Job, here's why this is happening. You've been bad. Bad Job. Bad Job. And he's like, let me, let me tell you haven't been, why I haven't been bad, okay? And here's all you know. He's going to talk about how he's just, Mishpat, and righteous, Sedek. And he's going to give a ton of examples. And I want you to notice how few of those involve legal courts. And how much of those can look like social kindness. Listen to this. Job chapter 29, verse 12. He says this. 
Remember, he's defending himself that he's just and righteous. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help. Let me tell you why I'm just. I delivered the poor who cried for help. A poor person said, I have needs. Job gave him money or food or something. And, And the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. He's saying, listen, when a widow had need and she was having a tough time, when I showed up, it made her happy because of the type of man that I was, because I was just and righteous. Uh, Verse 14, I put on righteousness, sedek, and it clothed me. It's like a, a jacket that he wore. My justice was like a robe and a turban. Justice is mishpat. Listen, I did what was right. I helped the poor. I was concerned about the impact of my life and the lives of others on those around them. It was, I wore it on me. It was the clothes that I wore. Verse 15, let me explain that to you. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. Listen, I would go next to blind people and help them see where they were walking. That's not a law. That's mishpat and sedek. That's justice according to God. It's so much bigger than my definition sometimes. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. Listen, this is like, nowadays, this is like a nonprofit ministry that's helping the people who are sick or oppressed or vulnerable. Like, that's what Job is doing. He's spending his time helping the weak and the needy. Verse 16, I was a father to the needy. I searched out the cause of him who I did not know. So listen, I, I would hear about an issue, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know the guy, but I would hear, that dude, something's happening. I would go over there, and I would seek out his cause, and I would make sure he was taken care of. I would defend him against the rich who might oppress him, not because Job was a lawyer, but because Job was a man of influence in his city, and he would leverage that influence to protect the oppressed and the weak and the needy and the vulnerable. Verse 17, and I love this. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and made him drop his prey from his teeth. And that, now that right there, that's the type of gritty follower of God I'm talking about, where it's not just like give you a hug. It's like if you're a wolf and you got a sheep in your mouth, I start swinging for your face, man. I'm knocking your teeth out, and you're going to drop that sheep right there, not in front of me. That's, that's Job. It's, it's gritty, and I like it. Let me show you where else Job says this. Job chapter 31. He's still talking and he starts saying, listen, if I've done this or if I've done this or if, I've, if I haven't done this, like, listen, then you can find me guilty. But he's listing all the things that he's done. Look at Job 31, verse 13. If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant when they brought a complaint against me. Like he's saying, listen, if they had a complaint, if my employees had a complaint against me and I rejected their cause, I said, listen, I, I got these these servants that are working in my tent, if I rejected their cause, they came and said, Job, you're not being fair, you're not being right. If you can find a time that I rejected it, fine. But you aren't going to find it. Because when the people who served me, who were vulnerable to me, when they said they had issues that I did, I listened and I took up their cause when it was right. Verse 16. If I have withheld anything that the poor desired, or have caused the eye of the widow to fail. If I've heard of the need of a poor person and I didn't help meet that need, find a time that I wasn't just like that. 
Verse 17, this is amazing. Or have eaten my morsel alone and the fatherless has not eaten of it. She says, find a time that I had dinner at my house and didn't have an orphan getting food at my table with me. Remember, we're talking about not just benevolence, we're talking about justice. This guy, I mean, Job is phenomenal, man. Like, listen to this, verse 18. And from, from my youth, the fatherless grew up with me as with a father. And from my mother's womb, I guided the widow. If I've seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me, if he was not worn with the fleece of my sheep, I know he's saying, listen, if, if there was a poor person that was going to be cold at night, he didn't have clothes, at night when it got cold, the clothes that I gave him made his body go, I'm so grateful for Job that I'm not freezing tonight because of the justice of Job. Man, listen, he says, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, then here's what he says should happen in verse 22. Then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder and let my arms be broken from its socket. Verse 28, he says this. This also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have been false to God above. If I did any of those things, if I didn't feed the poor and feed the orphans and clothe the needy, if I didn't seek out the cause of those who I didn't know to defend them, if I wasn't just, then that would have been a sin against God. And I should be found guilty in court. That's Job. Listen, I think what we see here with Job is this phenomenal blending of a holistic picture of how God views justice. That that there's an administration of good laws with equity and helping the vulnerable in a way that keeps relational wholeness in the community. Listen, I know that was super academic, But here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to lay the groundwork to ask us this question. Do we define justice the same way that God defines justice? What areas of our understanding of justice do we need to grow in? Or have we gotten too one-sided in our understanding of justice that justice is only about good laws? Listen, according to God's definition... Do we want equitable treatment for all? I want you to ask that question for yourself. Do, do we want just laws for everyone? I think that we're all a yes on that. But that second part of justice, are we actively engaged with the vulnerable and the oppressed of our city? Do we care or are we blind to it? Which is what, the, what we call the wicked man in Proverbs. The poor, the orphans, the immigrants, the widows. Listen, I think we've got more groups in our society apart from the Bible ones that are vulnerable, whether that's special needs or people that struggle with addictions or the mentally ill or the homeless or the working poor or kids in single-parent families. Listen, church, I believe we need to grow in that part of justice as a church family. I really do. I, I think we need to grow. I think that I need to grow in my engagement in this. I think that we as a church family need to figure out how to grow in our engagement in this. And I want to remind you of something. Here, I want to remind you of the gospel as I say that. Because some of you right now might be like, 
oh man, this is just, this feels heavy and difficult. I feel, I feel guilty. Let me remind you of something. Jesus did this perfectly. Like, listen, he, he was with the homeless and the poor. It didn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile. It didn't matter if you were a kid or an adult. It didn't matter your past or your background or your mistakes. He loved you and offered you whole relationship. He met needs all the time in his ministry, and so did the early church. That's what they did. That's who they were because that's who God is. He did it perfectly, and not only that, but he died on the cross for our shortcomings in this. You need to hear this. When you are in Christ, all the mistakes you've made about injustice are covered by the blood of Jesus. And when he sees you, he sees all the righteousness and justice that Jesus did. So today I want you to praise Jesus that he's just. I want you to praise him that he makes you just. Not only that, but he gives you the power to live justly in our city today. And, and I know, I don't know if I answered all of your questions about the things that are happening today. Those are sermons for the next couple weeks. But I want you to hear is this. God defines justice with good laws that are administered with equity, helping the vulnerable, and sustaining the relationship in the community. And when we have injustice, bad laws, the vulnerable aren't help, the relationships in our community will be damaged and destroyed. And the way forward for us is trusting in Jesus to do a work that restores relationships, gives us a heart for the vulnerable, and helps us figure out how to have more and more just laws. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'm just going to give you a moment right there in your seat. I want you to actually respond to anything that God would have said to you. So, so let me ask. How does your definition of justice line up with God's? And maybe you didn't consider it justice. Maybe for you, you thought you need to be just and kind. That's, that's fine. It doesn't mean you have to get the definition right. We need to have all of it in the picture. What part did God convict you of that we need to grow in or repent of? Did he put anyone on your heart and mind that you need to engage in justly with kindness and fairness? or with help. Listen, if he convicted you of that, I just want you simply to repent of it and ask him to forgive you and help. Also, would you take a moment and, and ask this question? Is there anything that we want God to do in our country to make us more just by his definition? Pray for him to do that. And also, would you take a moment and would you worship God for being just like this? that in our rebellion and in our wickedness and in our weakness, he didn't just give us judgment. He gave us a holistic justice that offered us repaired relationship and he gave help to us when we were weak. Would you take a moment to worship him for being that kind of just God and not the hard-nosed, one-sided justice we get sometimes that only brings the hammer?
Heavenly Father, God, we come to you. And God, we are grateful that you are just and you are kind and in a way that, that we miss sometimes. Thank you for showing us justice, God, that, that saw our sin and didn't dismiss it. You dealt with it. God, thank you for helping us when we were weak and while we were enemies, while we were still sinners. You helped. You were just. And God, thank you for noticing that our sin was destroying our relationship, so you sought to restore that relationship. God, you were fully just in the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray you would make us accurate representations to our city and to our neighbors and to our friends and family of what your justice looks like so that your name would be praised. God, make us those type of people. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen.